Nice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the third webinar in a month-long series titled Equity and Learning in the 21st Century Classroom, Explore, Connect, Transform. Uh, my name is Ontario, and I'm going to be our host for today. Uh, throughout April, we've been talking with editors and contributors to the new uh, National Brian Project MacArthur ebook, Teaching in the Connected Learning Classroom, as well as teachers and researchers who can speak to connected learning in schools and in out-of-school spaces. And I think we'll, we have some really great people today who can speak to, to both spaces at the same time. Um, today, we're going to be talking to several editors and contributors to the book, as well as these researchers. Um, and before we dive into our chat, let's go over a couple of quick details and just some logistical stuff. So to those participating, I, I screw this up every time. To those participating on live stream right now, please use the chat there to introduce yourselves, connect with each other, and ask questions that we can address here in the Google Hangout. They'll get funneled over to us by the creepy bubble that's running us. Uh, we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning Google Plus community and via the hashtag Connected Learning on Twitter. Uh, those links should be in the live, live stream chat as well. So um, I want to get started today uh, just having us introduce ourselves. Um, and, and to do that, I want to revisit what we've been doing throughout this month of talking about the hashtag Where We Learn. Um, and so, again, my name is Ontario Garcia. I'm at Colorado State University. Uh, where I was learning yesterday, I, I was at a friend's table um, playing tabletop role-playing games as nerdy as possible in terms of a research space lately. Um, and so rolling dice and telling collective stories together has been a, an interesting new uh, learning environment for where I've been learning. I'm going to go left to right. Um, and so, Cindy, maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us where you've been learning. Um, I'm Cindy O'Donnell-Allen. I'm a professor in the English department with Ontario, actually, at Colorado State University, and I also direct the CSU Writing Project there. Um, I just actually retweeted a tweet that I made a couple of weeks ago when I was at an educator innovator meeting with the National Writing Project, um, and it, it's a picture of myself and three of the co-editors of the ebook that Ontario was mentioning, and we've started calling ourselves the Scholarly Gang. Um, but one of the places that I learn from these folks on a regular basis is when we get together to write or we see each other face to face at conferences, but also uh, when I follow their, them on Twitter or I read their resources that they've posted to National Writing Project's Digital Is site. So as often as I can, I follow those people in various venues and it's a great way to uh, support my own professional learning. Thanks, Cindy. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and you're right down the hall from me, literally. Craig, maybe you can introduce yourself. Hi, uh, Craig Watkins, and very happy uh, to be joining this group today. I am um, a professor in the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm also a member of the Connected Learning uh, Research uh, Network. Um, so um, where I learn, uh, in, a, in a variety of places, uh, more recently, in a lot of the places where we've been conducting uh, research, uh, looking at um, uh, innovation in some of the most unsuspecting places uh, where young people are creating interesting paths to opportunity and expression through hip-hop, through music, uh, through design, through games, uh, and just meeting different kinds of communities uh, here in and around Austin that are involved in kind of innovative practices. And this is part of a project that we're looking at uh, that's just kind of exploring how we link um, engagement with technology innovative practices to kind of future social, civic, and economic opportunities. So right now, I'm learning through a lot of the field work, ethnography, and case studies that we're doing. Thanks, Craig. I'm also glad you're here, by the way. I'm glad everybody's here. Uh, I'm going to jump over to Wynn, Brianna, Reggie, and Minu. Hi, 
Hi everyone, my name is Mina Rami. I teach my students English at the Science Leadership Academy. Some of them are here with me today and they'll introduce themselves in a moment. Um, SLA is a great place to teach and learn, uh, but I also learn alongside all of you um, online on Digital Is um, and when we get to meet face-to-face -face, face at conferences. So I'm going to give my students a chance to say hi and introduce themselves. Um, hi, I'm Brianna Bailey, a junior at SLA. I learned not only in SLA, but also at home. I recently had a new baby born sister, so I've been learning a lot about babies and a lot about communication, uh, communication skills and a lot of stuff, uh, uh, I guess like including babies and just new life in general. Hi, I'm Wynn Geary. I'm also a junior at Science Leadership Academy. Um, I am a inspire or an aspiring graphic designer, so I learn with Philadelphia's design community, um, designing and building uh, projects all over the city. Uh, my name is Reggie Simmons. I'm also a junior here at uh, Science Leadership, and outside of school, I also intern at the Philadelphia Tribune, a Philadelphia newspaper company, and it's a uh, pretty cool having the ability to um, interview students at my school and at other schools and have their voice published so that the entire city can see it. So that's uh, pretty enriching and that's a pretty good opportunity. Awesome. Reggie, Wynn, Brianna, and Minu, I'm really glad all of you are here. Paul, do you mind introducing yourself and where you learn? Sure. I'm Paul Allison and I, uh, I teach at a new school. Um, called uh, New, New Directions Secondary School and with the New York City Writing Project. And where I learn, um, I run back and forth to school. And I, I always have a podcast going on in my ear, so I learn on my runs. That's great. Uh, so thinking about running it and trying to not stay in one place, um, the, the, real, the, the discussion today is really going to focus on multiple paths to success and, and the ways connected learning intersect with, with uh, young people's pathways. Um, so as our first question to think through, um, I want to hear from everybody, what does it mean for you to be able to tap into students' interests as a gateway to learn? Um, and why, why is that important in the various spaces that, you, that you're working in? Um, maybe, Cindy, you could start us off in thinking about this from a pre-service teacher perspective in terms of the, the students we're working with here. And I think you're muted. Let's try again. Um, everything I'm going to say I've stolen from someone else, so I should preface my comments with that. Um, and, and I am going to refer back to those people that I mentioned earlier that I was my co-editors uh, for the ebook. One of the things that those folks say a lot, especially Nicole Mira, about interest-driven learning, she emphasizes that students' interests aren't just hobbies and that we really need to follow their lead as we're thinking about their own learning because uh, can, that can increase their motivation um, to be invested in their learning, but also um, they need our support around that. And one of the things that I've learned in that regard is that students need to think about how their interests also connect to larger concerns perhaps related to the content that we're talking about so that they can see, you know, you're not alone. Um, others are really interested in these questions and ideas that matter to all of us. Sometimes students, my own uh, pre-service teachers for instance, need to see how those interests for that for them may seem very immediate 
are also connected to those larger questions and um, interests that other people have in the profession of teaching, but also just people in general. And I think that one of the, the reasons that that's important is that if they can see that, then they also have some agency in thinking about how they could make an impact in their local space, in, in our classroom, the community that we all share, but also beyond our classroom, um, in their own communities, and in the case of my students, in the profession. Um, one of the examples that I can give to that, and, and I can hopefully talk more about this later, in our uh, conversation together, but one of the examples I can give related to that is that uh, one of the resources that my students use a lot because I assign it as a text in my pre-service education classrooms is the Digital Is resource with National Writing Project. And as questions come up or interests come up that they might have in our classroom related to teaching English, one of the things that I'm able to do, I think, because that resource is available, is to connect them with others in the profession who also share those interests. So it widens, it, it starts with their interests, but it also widens them um, up to, to recognize that those are interests that are shared in the larger community and that they can connect with those people in ways that might have an impact on the profession. Thanks, Cindy. Uh, Brianna and, and Minu, sorry, I'm looking at whoever's screen, whoever's face might be on the screen at any given time there, over there. Yeah, there's four of us. It's, it's been a little hard. Um, I, I, really, I really admire um, Cindy's thinking, and, and I think I do, I do some of the same thinking in, in my work. Um, one of the examples that's actually included in the Connected Learning, um, connected learning um, book is the magazine project that some of these kids actually have contributed and without them it, it wouldn't exist. Um, the idea that how can I leverage my students interests, ideas and inquiries and then also balance that with the skills that they need to learn in a, in a typical high school English classroom. So skills of research, analyzing information, synthesizing information, and then being able to articulate their own um, opinions and thoughts on the things that they've learned throughout that process. Um, I find that to be an interesting challenge, uh, challenge as an educator and as a high school English teacher. So um, for those who have not read the Connected Learning book yet, um, these students got together, 33 of them, and produced a teen magazine. Um, they chose the topic that they wanted um, to research and learn more about, and um, it, it, they were also broken up into copy editing teams, design and layout teams, uh, promotions teams, and art and photography teams, and they all contributed to some aspect of, of this teen magazine. Um, we can put the link in the chat for uh, for others to see the magazine, but I think it would be interesting to hear from them what that experience was like, where their own interests and their own um, investments were utilized in, uh, for a learning purpose. Do you, do you guys want to take that question? Um, so. I can't speak for these two. Um, since there were two different classes, I was in one of the classes, they were in another um, class, but I was on the design and layout team. Um, and as I mentioned before, I'm really interested in design, graphic design. So I was really able to kind of bounce off of what Ms. Rami kind of gave me with the whole design thing. And I was able to not only like be really invested in the writing piece of it, but also then 
really interested in the magazine because of the design aspect. So I really think that brought kind of the project into something that I felt like for personally, like I grew, but then also my writing was really important um, in it as well. So. Um, one thing I'll mention was uh, coming up with the name of our magazine. That was a big class effort. Um, it was very, it was kind of like pulling teeth when it came to like finalizing, you know, what the name was actually going to be. In my class, um, me and Reggie actually named it Nexus. Um, it kind of symbolizes um, a new generation of us as SLA. Um, another thing kind of to look at is, um, the again, the design and layout. That was like a huge thing of the final product. So it was like the people who were handling that had to really, you know, be like uh, really invested into it and really take their time to make sure that it was something that really represented everybody around us and not just them as individuals, but like the entire class and the entire school of SLA and be able to draw the attention of people outside of SLA to read the magazine. Yeah, I think that. Uh having the students be interested in what they were going to write about in the magazine was a really big factor in producing something that was good. Because if you tell a class to make a magazine, they can they can choose whatever they're going to write about. They can write up an article and then put it in the magazine. But if you give them the choice to decide what they want to write about and have them be interested and have them care, then the final product is going to be a lot better and I think that's really obvious when you um, when you actually read through the magazine. I think um, I think one thing that's important to note here that while um, these students are incredibly articulate and thoughtful in the way they're responding to this questions and other questions that you'll bring them, what I found interesting as a as teacher to all of them, there are 33 kids in the class, here are just three of them. Um, what I found to be interesting is that um, this type of work, this type of relevant work, can bring every student into that kind of um, invested learning. And I think that's interesting. The kids who may have been turned off during the first quarter, you can really um, get them invested in something like this because they really have to, like Brianna, I think, made an amazing point. They, she used an amazing word. She said they have to be invested in it, and it has to be good enough to represent not only themselves but their their class. It's sort of a class identity thing. Um, like, let's see whose class can produce a better better product, or even um, sort of competitive spirit in there. So I think I think um, that's an important point to not miss here. That while you're hearing from three students, I think you would hear similar um, comments and thoughts from others in the class as well. Yeah, no, I think those are all great examples, and um, and as I think about some of the work that we've done and, and some of the engagement that we've had with, with schools and with students and teachers uh, tracks uh, very closely to what we've just heard from Mino and uh, and her wonderful students. So so we spent about a year and a half in a high school, this, this is a couple of years ago now, we're current, this is part of the Connected Learning Research uh, Network um, work that we were doing. It was basically an ethnography uh, in a Austin metropolitan area high school, and um, and as we began to meet students and meet teachers and 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 sit in and observe and work with classes, you know, we began to learn more and more about different interests that students had. So some students were interested in games, uh, some students were interested in, in in graphic design, some students were interested in art, uh, video filmmaking. Um, 
and music production. I mean, just I mean, and the list goes on and on and on in terms of the different kinds of things that they were interested in. And and so we began to start thinking about with at least a couple of the teachers that we worked with, you know, how could we leverage those interests in ways that were meaningful, that were robust, and in ways that kind of connected with the challenges um, and with some of the the, the the requirements that teachers had to address in terms of their classes. So I'll just give I'll give one example, and there are certainly others that that I, that I can allude to as well. So we were working with uh, closely with a, a teacher and his class. It was a game design class, and so there were students in that class who brought many different kinds of interests into that space. So some students were interested in, in in building platforms, building building games. Some were interested in writing. Some were interested in in the art and sort of graphic design work that goes into the construction of a game. So there were these a multiplicity of, of sort of interests and areas of expertise that students brought to the space. And so what we decided to do was to to basically um, propose to them working together, you know, collaboratively to design a game addressing the issue of childhood obesity. And so it was an opportunity, right, to leverage their interest in these different aspects related to game design, but in a way that was purposeful, in a way that was there was this kind of shared interest amongst the students there together, uh, and in a way that allowed them to begin to start engaging some of the academic and educational content uh, that the teacher understood was was necessary for a class like this. And so we took the, the topic of childhood obesity because we thought it was an opportunity to deal with a range of issues. The sociology of childhood obesity, which gets into issues of equity and poverty and geography, uh, the science of, uh, of childhood obesity in terms of nutrition and health and the body, and so it was an opportunity, right, to kind of creatively bring together students' interest um, around games, uh, students' interest related to games, uh, with an academic kind of content area uh, that we thought could also boost the learning, immerse students in a space, in an environment, in a community that made the learning more relevant, that made it kind of connected to their, their, their school, their community, their neighborhoods, their homes. And so they were using a variety of technologies and devices to go out and collect data, to do research, particularly mobile platforms that really kind of enriched and informed the design and creative work that they did. But the idea, right, was to really um, to, to use their interest as a spark and to use it really um, as an opportunity uh, to not only engage them, but to bring them together in a, in a creative way around a creative project that leverage many of the principles of connected learning in terms of learning being networked, in terms of learning being production centered and oriented, and in terms of learning uh, being a shared purpose. And so in that regard, uh, interest was kind of a pivot for moving into other kinds of issues, moving into other kinds of areas uh, that we thought really created a compelling opportunity and project for students. That's great, Craig. Paul, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how uh, these types of pathways might exist in the in the new school you're in, involved with. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe I'll get to that. I, can I? Can I just? Um, I will. Uh, one of the. Um, I mean, Craig, what what you just said suggests to me that there are we ha we are dealing with different terms when we talk about interests, and that might be worth identifying because, like, childhood obesity. Um, a, a class doing that one topic is something that um, I think about differently, but I, but I don't think so much about you know the the media that the kids are using as as being the interest. So that's an that's I think a, a worthwhile distinction to make. Like, I mean, so so 
when we ask kids what what is the content that you want to approach, I'm always amazed. We can never predict what they're going to come up with. So that's one thing that I just like to put out there like that. The um. So we we. I want to say that the other kind of um, background thing that I think needs to be said is that this takes a lot, a lot of time. <clears throat> so that if we have students for one semester, um, how do you find kids' interests? You know, I mean, you can you can do it kind of quickly, but I think really getting to know young people takes a long time. So we need schools where. We're with kids over time, over years, if possible, that we form relationships. So we're trying. So that's some of the things we're trying to do at our school. Um, the um, and then one other quick story, and then I'll see if other people want to jump in on this. Um, I I had an aha a few years ago when I was walking with an art teacher who does this really really well. Um, he he comes up with individual projects for each student. Um, and it was late October, and he mentioned a student, and I said, well, what's that student doing? He said, well, we haven't found a project for him yet. So again, it takes time, it takes listening, it takes really, everyone doesn't come up with their interests right away. I think it's a complicated process. Yeah, so I, I, Paul, I think yeah. your, your, your note about, um, you know, trying to be perhaps more um, uh, specific and, and and measured in terms of how we think about interests is, is an mm -hmm. important uh, point. And, um, and I think, you know, how one defines, interprets, or applies interest in this sort of context, the context of education, learning, and opportunity is certainly going to, to vary. Um, and I think interest was happening on many different levels in terms of just the, the, the one project example um, that I gave. So many of the students, presumably right by enrolling in an elective class devoted to designing games, uh, were expressing in some some type of, of an interest in, in games. Some um, some interested right in, in games for I mean well interested right in for for a variety of reasons in a variety of ways making games designing games playing games. Um, what what I what I what I thought we wanted to do with the project was to sort of expand their their vocabulary and vision of how that interest might get articulated. And so, in, in this sense, you know, thinking about games, right, as an opportunity to um, to tell stories, uh, games as a kind of learning engine, um, it was is it was we thought a sort of a useful exercise and, and intervention in terms of trying to tap into an interest that they express in terms of games, but then even looking at a more micro level, right, students' interest in games again developing along many different dimensions and many different uh, aspects. So some wanting to program, some wanting to write, some wanting to do the artwork. Um, and so recognizing, right, that there were different interests represented even within that broader interest of games and how could we create a space, create pathways, create a kind of collaborative studio or environment where those interests could really be uh, kind of organized and mobilized around a kind of shared and community experience. I think it's really important to consider that uh, students aren't this monolithic, I like hip-hop, therefore everything needs to be tied to this in, in whatever kind of pathway it is, right? Uh, listening to Craig, it makes me think that, you know, the very onion-like layer of student and adult interests. Um, and thinking about the students I work with uh, here at CSU, we, we work with, Cindy and I work primarily with pre-service teachers, people who are becoming English teachers. Um, and in conversations with Cindy, she's talked about um, research around positive identifiers, right? That the reason many people become English teachers is because likely they had 
positive experiences in English classrooms back when they were high school students, um, and therefore probably want to emulate those practices. Whether or not those practices are, are outdated, need to be revised, re need to be re re um, changed in, in some kind of significant transformation um, is an entirely different conversation. But that's one thing to consider with uh, with with the the group that we work with here is you know this interest in English and the teaching profession is an interest and it's not the only interest right we have students who are interested in uh, in in growing plants in uh, uh, in lots of other things I'm gonna I'm failing at thinking of interest right now when I'm put on the spot uh, well, but it does make me think uh, I, I think did someone want to jump in here Paul yeah I, I think yeah I think I'd like to add that. Um, students' interests can be fleeting, right? Aside from, aside from like maybe one or two things. Like I know kids who are like really big gamers, and I know a couple of kids who are really big into movies. But their interest changes, and sometimes the things that you do um, with them also um, exposes them to an interest that they may or may not have had. So I think if you get stuck on interests alone. I think you miss out on other opportunities, but I think if you ask the question, what is the work um, that is worth taking on, or what is the work that's worth doing as a as a learning community? Um, I mean, very briefly, what you heard from Reggie, Wynn, and Brianna, like these kids are on point. They're sharp thinkers. They're they're very bright people, and you know, I have an opportunity to do great work with them, like every other teacher who, who stands in front of sleepy teenagers um, and, and tries to teach them something new. I always ask myself, like, what is work that is worth their talent, their interest, their passion, and their skills? I think when I think about it that way, that's easier than just thinking about, like, what are they interested in? Because that, that may or may not fit into what we're doing. I can add... Go ahead, Do you want to go ahead? Okay. I can add something here. I think that might take up some of the stuff that Mini was just saying about um, helping us think about what is what's worth taking on together as a community. I was really interested, Craig, in what you were saying about leveraging students' interests and then using those as pivot points. Um, I think one way to help do that and to lead into the kind of um, you know work that's going to have impact just as Minu was talking about is to think about interests as questions. Um, something about that I think feels inviting and questions are also sometimes a way to help people think beyond the interest. So if we were talking about for instance hip-hop like you guys had mentioned um, what do you want to know about that? But also, what is the relevance of, of hip-hop beyond our classroom? How is it a way of ex using language uh, to have a particular impact? Those questions are related, I think, to the kinds of course focuses that, that English teachers tend to have, but they help students broaden those things out. Um, and I think I can give you guys a question about that, or a, an example of that in one of the courses that I was teaching a couple of semesters ago, and it was a course on teaching composition. One of the things that I was really interested in is, is helping the students that Ontario and I teach who are really representative of the teaching population at large um, in that many of them are white, middle class, and female to reconsider or maybe consider for the first time their own cultural positionality and how 
that shapes their identity as people and that identity is going to be realized in the classroom. It's going to shape their practices and perhaps some of the assumptions that they make about their own students. Um, so that was some, a question that I was interested in. But as we were contemplating that together, because it was one that my students eventually um, thought was important um, for us to take on together, one of the questions that they asked was, okay, but I may be a white teacher, a white female teacher who's teaching um, a group of students that may not share my cultural positionality. How does somebody like me do this? And that was a really important and intriguing question. It connected to interests they had that also intersected with what we were talking about in the classroom. But we were able to use that question and find somebody else who was able to answer it in a way that I wasn't because I hadn't been in the classroom recently. And what we did was uh, we looked for another expert. And in this case, it was Danielle Filippiak, um, who has written a really interesting resource for Digital Is, which I mentioned earlier, where she talks about being um, a white female teacher who's teaching an inner city population in Detroit and thinking together with those students about how they um, were perceived in their community, how they could flip those perceptions on their head by engaging in literacy practices that were really geared toward pursuing the questions that they shared together. When my students were able to find somebody like Danielle, who at first was just online and they were responding to her Digital Is resource in using the forum responses that are available on Digital Is, one of the things that happened very rapidly was that Danielle started participating in an online conversation, conversation with us. And then we were able to say, well, hey, you know, we have this technology available. Let's invite her into our classroom. And that's what we did. Um, we had a hangout with her. Um, students were able to establish sort of a face-to-face -face connection as, as far as that is possible um, through a hangout like we're having right now. But it gave us, it brought that outside perspective in. It used those interests that they had as a pivot toward the larger questions that were worth all of us taking on. Thanks, Cindy. Um, and I'm thinking back to Paul's original um, provocation here, thinking about what do we mean by interest. And, and in some ways, I think about like three different layers of, of what we can consider interest. Um, one being, you know, this 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 moment of passion, right, of, of wanting to learn more about a specific topic, um, but also having more of an investment in it, like a stake, an interest in what happens with a particular field, a particular subject. And there's the financial side of interest, right, that things grow over time, that you gain stuff in, in gaining interest from something. And I think these are all important ways to think about the responsibility of what interest looks like in different learning spaces. Um, so I guess the other part of this that maybe we've, we've kind of hinted at or heard in varying degrees um, is to think about um, once you're able to figure out what is interest, what is work that, that young people should be engaged in, um, how do you connect these interests uh, with academic content? Uh, if anyone has a, an initial response to start us off here. Um, I, can, I can take that on how do you, so I was actually um, in New Jersey yesterday speaking to a group of English teachers, and um, they actually saw the same same magazine that that link that was shared on this um, webinar. And the question that was asked was like, "Well, how do you fit everything you have to do 
and also do work like this. And I thought it was very indicative of um, how frustrated and tired and depleted teachers around the country are feeling around standards and Common Core. And But I think it would actually be a really interesting um, thing to examine uh, for me, for my students, and maybe even an academic researcher who would be interested in a question like this. If you look at that that teen magazine that we produce, what are the what are the um, typical English um, classroom skills that we're hitting, but we're not doing it through a typical research paper um, type of learning experience? So maybe it might actually be more interesting rather than for me to go on about this to hear from the kids of like, yes, mm -hmm. you were producing this like teen magazine, and it was like you know, hard and and uh, interesting experience, but what were academic skills, if any, did you see yourself growing in? So I'm going to pass that question on to my students. The question is, um, what academic skills or what, like, typical English skills did you pick up um, through the work that you did on the teen magazine or any, any uh, type of project-based learning work that you do? Um, or is that, like, just something that you do that's fun and that there is an, an actual growth. Um, in what ways did you grow as a writer, if, if any? Um, okay, well, when I first heard about like the magazine, my mind automatically was like, oh, this is fun, let's do it. Um, personally, with my article, um, it's called The Art of Conversation. I had to do a lot more than just write an article and do research. I ended up posting a um, kind of like an art conversation. I had a couple of, uh, I think it was 11 people between the ages of 14 and 25 come together and talk about art. And through that conversation, I was taking notes and I was writing down um, things that people said so I can quote them in my article. And it kind of was a way for not only for me to, you know, see my friends again and say, hey, and um, get involved in this conversation because I'm, I'm an artistic person. That's kind of just like how I release everything, whether it's happy feelings, sad feelings, and get them all together to meet each other and then create different connections. Um, it helped me, the magazine personally, writing my article and reading other people's articles made me notice a lot of grammatical errors, um, especially in our generation with like computers and technology. That happens a lot. I was having a conversation with my mom from my third quarter benchmark with Ms. Rami about my grammatical error, error, errors and how like with writing college essays we're going to need to, we as juniors are going to need to like really pick up on making those er errors. Not only um, like have other people read it but be able to see it ourselves. And through I guess the second quarter and third quarter the magazine and um, our short story that we just did, I was really kind of able to pick up on my own grammatical er errors and correct myself and then have somebody else look into it after I checked over it myself. Sure. Um, I think that where the area I grew the most in during the process of creating the magazine was as a creative writer because um, it's a little difficult for me to write something that is non-factual that people actually want to read because yeah, ever since like elementary school I've been taught to write analytical essays and five paragraph essays on books and stuff like that and having to choose something, choose some 
content that teenagers who, who were our, our uh, target audience that they would enjoy was uh, a little difficult. It was uh, ultimately rewarding, but being able to um, come up with something like that that uh, people actually want to read, not just your teacher who's grading you on stuff like uh, grammar or sentence structure or how well you incorporate ideas into your writing. Uh, writing something that people will actually want to read for fun or to learn in a magazine, that was um, a learning experience for me. Um, well, during our, our school has five core values, um, inquiry, research, collaboration, presentation, and reflection. And I was, I was proud of the work that I did on the magazine, but I was also really proud of the work that my peers did. Um, somebody wrote an essay. They actually were able to call up people that are running for the Pennsylvania state uh, governor, and they actually got like a personal interview over the phone to write this article about them. And I was like, wow, that's really big for like just our magazine in our English class. So I think that that's a lot of the work that we did here, and I reflected on that and really internally felt like I should have done, like not like I should have done better, but like, wow, like think outside the box, like on every project. Um, I think I think it's interesting that um, how when when kids collaborate, not just like in small groups, like I'll put you in groups of four, and now you'll like fill out this you know worksheet and let me know what you did by the end of the period. Like when you really um, make work that's production center, like we are going public with this work, and other people are going to look at it, and there's an audience, and when they see the number of views that they have on the magazine, I think it raises the game. I think even the way time is experienced in in the classroom, like right now we're doing college essays and we're doing like sci-fi um, independent reading and time feels honestly slower to all of us but when we were working on the magazine we were like always stressed out and always running around and, and time felt differently to us in the classroom and um, I don't know if you can sustain that kind of intensity all year round, and I don't recommend it because it's really, <laughs> it's really, it's really stressful. But um, that's something that's something to think about. But we'll we'll stop taking over the whole time. Yeah. No. In, in terms of your your, your question, Antero, and and thanks again, uh, Wynn, Brian, and, and Reggie for those uh, really great examples. Um, so we did a we did a similar project to the to the magazine that 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 you're alluding to, where some high school students that we worked with designed um, an ebook, like an, an interactive book, and um, and in terms of you know the way in which we tried to connect that back to you know some of the academic and educational um, uh, kinds of uh, requirements and expectations that we see uh, you know around the country, uh, we we took the issue for example of of persuasive or uh, argumentative uh, writing, and so you know there are certain principles, there are certain elements, certain components, right, to developing, crafting, and executing an argumentative essay, right, that demonstrates uh, sort of an understanding of a topic, that demonstrates an understanding of the diverse sides uh, of a topic, and then been able to stake out a claim to to sort of mobilize evidence and data to support that claim, and then make a case. And typically, right, students are asked to do that via uh, an essay of some sort, maybe an editorial or some other, uh, you know, print or, or, or written form of, of communication. And what we were able to do with the um, 
with the with the, with the interactive book that students design was to take some of those same elements that we associate with persuasive or argumentative writing and really sort of translate that into other kinds of digital artifacts. So maybe it was a graphic piece of artwork that a student designed. Maybe it was an interactive map that a student designed. Uh, maybe it was a short video that a student designed, an animation. But, but the point here, right, is that those, the execution of those same concepts, right, demonstrating mastery of the capacity or the ability to make an argument, to make a persuasive argument, to use data, to use evidence, right, to demonstrate understanding of the competing perspectives and do that right across different media forms that was something that we thought was a unique opportunity with this particular project and so it was a way of connecting with the creative work that students were doing the sort of digital artifacts and media that they were making and connect that back to some of the same kinds of skills and competencies that are expected of them in more traditional kinds of academic productivity. I love that Craig, thanks. Um, I want to jump to a question from the chat um, that I think is, is important here. Um, so the question, I'll just read it, it says, what tips would panelists suggest for teachers to engage families in interest-driven learning? And for the students, how do your families support you in your efforts? Uh, Mina, do you want to start us off with this one? Sure. Um, I think it's interesting to think about um, not feeling and not being the only resource for your students in the classroom. So. Um, I never buy into the idea that I'm their only teacher, and not just academic teacher. Um, they can have a mentor at an internship. They can be part of like a religious community where they might be might be mentored in in some way. Um, I don't buy into the idea that like I'm the only one who has something interesting to teach my kids, and I'm always looking for the right mentor for the right kid at the right time. So if I meet somebody at a networking event, I'll be like, can my student email you because they're interested in the very same thing that, that you're interested in, can we, can we connect you to? And I think um, that kind of, um, that kind of uh, connecting and leveraging can happen through family connections too. I think when we invite families, when we ask for their help, when we um, share uh, what we're doing and go public with the work that we're doing, they may be able to um, help us connect to the resources that we might not have. And especially if you are um, facing the budget crisis that we're facing in Philadelphia, we're always trying to do more with less. So I'm always looking for someone who's willing to give up their time, talent, or, or even funding support for the things that we're doing in the classroom. Um, Brianna is actually working on something really interesting um, right now that just happened out of a casual conversation between the both of us and now has taken over the entire junior class and she'd like to tell you a little bit about it. Um, yeah, so me and Ms. Rami were in class one day and I think it was after a journal topic. Uh, we were talking about the White House and Michelle Obama and like, oh, how cool it would be to, you know, meet Michelle Obama. So uh, it kind of was like, I just kind of came up with like, oh, well, let's do a class trip. So um, it starts with background. My aunt works in the White House. Uh, she worked. She used to be the uh, schedule coordinator for uh, Obama, but now she works hand in hand with Michelle. Um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe we can get a class trip and a tour of the White House. So I used my connections kind of to get my class into you know something that we wanted to do. They always they were always complaining about like how we haven't had a class trip yet and we're juniors and like the sophomores did this and the freshmen did that. 
So I was like, okay, well, this is an opportunity for it to be a learning experience, but also to be fun. Um, learn about the White House, learn about colleges that are surrounding that area. Um, there's like a lot of um, galleries and museums that are free that uh, we're trying to put together for my class to go to. So kind of that family connection and using like my aunt's job to kind of get us into something fun. Um, but, but even beyond this being like an amazing cultural, educational, and civic experience, mm -hmm. you and a group of your 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 classmates are leading fundraising effort, and you're getting mm -hmm. like permissions in order. Like you you have a point person as a teacher, but you are doing all the legwork yeah. uh, to make this trip possible. And and you, I hope you're learning so many other things. Um, about collaboration and about leading by by this experience. I'm actually learning like a lot about my peers. Um, so starting this, I was like, uh, this is going to be simple. You know, we'll just go to Washington D.C. and call it a day. But that's not really how it was. I uh, ended up coming up with a committee of seven juniors from different streams. At SLA, we have streams, um, and that's how we separate all of our classes. So I got a representative for each stream to help me with this project and help me um, put the whole thing together and get us there. So we've uh, come up with a fundraiser that we're actually doing Thursday, which is a breakfast sale. So we're all going to come to school at 7 o'clock in the morning, bring our cooking materials, our salt and pepper, and just make breakfast for the school. And we're going to use that as one of our fundraisers. Um, another thing was like figuring out who wants to do what? Who wants to figure out what schools we're going to go visit while we're down there? Who's going to figure out what museums we're going to see? Um, just like everybody has their own title and their own way of comfort to so make it feel like they're really a part of the organizing of it. And it's not just me doing it. That I tried to make it feel like the juniors were actually going to be a part of it. And it wasn't just something, oh, Brianna's putting together this thing and she's doing it all, all by herself. Thanks, Brianna. Yeah, you know, it, you know, your question in terror makes me think of, you know, one of the, the elements of the project that we worked on. And, and so we, we wanted students to really connect their engagement with the project, with the community uh, around them, the community that, that they were immersed in, including the home and the family. And so one of the things that they did was they, they took mobile devices, uh, mobile phones, um, iPod touches that we, we provided uh, for them, and they went into the home and they captured interviews with family members. They captured... Um, for the Childhood Obesity Project, they captured the types of foods that were in the home, um, and it really kind of opened up an opportunity for conversation between uh, that particular student and a sibling, that particular student and a mother or a father or some other guardian or relative, and it, 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 it really kind of put into action this idea of connected learning that is connecting learning across different settings, making learning something that was more relevant, something that students could feel and experience in a very real and tangible way. Uh, that uh, sort of powered their learning in, in, in the kinds of directions that we thought were really important. But the idea, right, was to, was to include the, the family, to include the familiar environment uh, in this project because we, we thought that that was a really important space and a really important opportunity to make some real-world connections to this kind of, you know, abstract academic sort of health topic uh, that may otherwise have seemed a bit elusive or maybe not even that interesting to them. Thanks, Craig. Paul, do you want to jump in here? I, can, can, I, I just want to go back a second to the question about um, academic uh, work and interests. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I can say a couple really fast examples. Um, we, 
On Youth Voices, we encourage kids to, as they're doing research, to publish early and often, um, and as you know, in the middle and at the beginning of the process. And and what happens when kids do that is they'll start with a uh, topic. One quick example is uh, you know a girl wanted to do fingernail polish, uh, fingernail polish color, right? What's the best color? And it seemed like a terribly silly example. But it, um, another girl talked about how um, it responded to her post and, and talked about how her, um, you know, her mother had her start doing that. And it ended up being a project that developed into psychology of mothers and daughters and, and uh, makeup and cosmetics and everything. It went deep pretty fast. Uh, another quick example that's happening right now is... Um, a young woman said, why do I love chocolate? Again, am I going to let her do that? Is that a deep enough topic? But uh, there was a girl in Utah who was uh, doing the same topic, but she was also looking into child labor around all that. So my sixth grader said, oh, my goodness, I didn't know I was going into this topic. So I'm at the point where I am almost don't want to hear that question anymore. I want to reverse it and say, can you give me a student interest that's not academic? You know, I mean, I, I really think we need to start doing that. I think we need to start, you know, just saying every interest is academic. It's just, uh, it just takes time and development to do it. So that's one thought. Thanks, Paul. And I do want to, as we think about this, this work tied to the ebook, I want to think about again this work. From, from a political perspective, what's happening to the teaching profession, right? Um, so if we think about interest-driven learning, and we think about the kinds of competing interests uh, that happen in schools. So, for example, as Minu and, and her students were trying to share today, and we can hear the competing interests of the intercom, right? And how these, how these two different discourses intersect in, in today's webinar in really interesting ways. Um, and, and I actually, I really want us to also think about, for next week's webinar, we're going to be talking around um, these principles and, and civic education. Um, and I think these are really powerful for us to think about how are we shaping the ways young people uh, are understanding both school and society as a result of the ways their interests are funneled in or out of schools, right? So when Reggie talked about writing something that students actually, or that an audience actually wants to read, I think that's a huge point that we need to consider. Um, so noting that um, and thinking about the time, I think what, what I want to do is go down the line starting with Cindy um, and, and share some final thoughts as well as maybe if you can suggest one thing that educators can do tomorrow um, to reach out to the students that you work with and learn more about their interests, that would be helpful. One pragmatic thing that we can go through. Cindy, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll close by saying what I said at the beginning, which is I'm just you know, relaying other people's thoughts, but I was really interested when Craig was talking about how students were making these interactive games, but they were also connected to skills of argument. And when Minu was talking and Brianna were talking about, you know, planning this field trip, um, but that's also a learning experience. They're picking up things that are academic that they can apply in the outside world. And then Paul's conversations about show me a student interest that isn't related to academics in some way. I think what I would say for people who are teacher educators is that we have to help our students learn to think in those both and terms and not either or terms. So it's not either you connect to students' interests or you do something academic, but it's possible and important to do both things at the same time. Thanks, yeah, no, I, think that's, I think that's an excellent point. And um, 
I mean, teachers are in a really, really tough predicament these days, right? Because of um, all of the accountability measures, and and we know, for example, that that unfortunately their their worth and value in the classroom oftentimes gets reduced to how well their students perform on these standardized tests. And so, how do we help design pathways? How do we help design curriculum, spaces, and opportunities for students? I'm sorry, for teachers to still kind of address those kinds of expectations that are imposed from outside of the school on them. And this is obviously a, a larger question that we can't address today in terms of just the, the, the politics of, edu of education today. But in terms of t today, tomorrow, in terms of real interventions, real practices that, that, that teachers might begin to consider is, you know, to really, you know, take the time to try to understand who your students are, what drives them, what motivates them, uh, what provokes them. And, and, and you would be amazed at what, what students tell you. You would be amazed at the kinds of interests that they, that they articulate, the insights that they generate, and how oftentimes those insights that they generate, those comments and observations that they provide you with can really be a catalyst to sort of thinking about uh, new ways of, of not only remaking and reimagining learning, but also building out new pathways for students to express and become much more engaged and invested in what's, what happens in the education space. Thanks, Craig. Minu? We're, we're in a passing period, so you'll have to excuse our, <laughs> our noise. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I would suggest um, is, two, so two very quick things, and then I'll let my, my students say um, whatever they want. Um, yes, to go back to the question is, how do we help um, our students become the designers of their own learning experience? And how can we share the responsibility of planning learning experiences with our students? Um, my kids know um, they have infinite wisdom about teaching and learning, and how can I um, make space for that and, and take that into consideration when I'm planning uh, learning activities or learning experiences? Ultimately, the responsibility, responsibility rests on me as, as the adult and as the teacher in the classroom, but how can I still share that responsibility, especially when I'm teaching 11th and 12th graders and we expect them to make decisions like choose the career that you want to pursue, you know, so um, I think that's really important. And then yeah. the second point I would make that I would urge all teachers yeah. to do is share the good news. I don't think some of the work that, that we discussed that came out of my classroom on this webinar is just happening in my classroom. I think there are amazing teachers and amazing classroom spaces around the country, but we don't often hear of the good news that's happening in education right now. So how can we get the, get the good news out? Um, that's the second thing I would ask um, teachers to think about. But um, maybe my, my students have more to share um, about these, these things. What message do you think um, teachers should know about what we talked about today? Just on, on the realist of the real levels, make, like, <laughs> make sure that the kids have the freedom to do what they want to do on certain projects. I know that sounds kind of like, you know, a little iffy, but with Ms. Rami's project with the magazine, I got to explore um, my passions through it, and like I said before, I was so much more invested in it. So making making something be invested in themselves makes it all the more worthwhile for them and then creates just this 
like a much better piece in the end. Um, we're for tomorrow specifically, I think one thing that a teacher can do physically is ask their students to respond to a question that they that the teacher has. Um, for instance, what are some things that you're involved in outside of school? And just have them list maybe one or two or three things that they're involved with. And then as a teacher, you can look back and reflect on those things. And from those things that you gather, you can either you know, kind of figure out a conversation to have as a class to kind of get the class talking and getting getting to know each other deeper than just in a classroom, but like actually getting to know the raw feelings of each student. And also as a teacher, you're personally knowing these individual things that you wouldn't have known a student does without asking that question. So that's just the first step. I think that uh, another important thing is uh, as a teacher, fostering a sense of acceptance in the classroom. Like, uh, referring back to Mr. Ellison's example about the girl who wanted to study chocolate, letting them know that it's okay to choose something radical as long as you can make something meaningful out of it. Uh, having discussions that uh, accept crazy ideas because ultimately, who knows what can be created from that crazy idea. But being able to um, have that initial idea and not just have it shut down, have it explored and questioned. I think that would really help students narrow down what they want to learn about. Um, invite your students to webinars. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Paul, final thought? Yeah, very quickly. Um, I, the, um, you know, Monica Hardy uh, talks about interests in this way. She says, she, she has students um, think about what is, what's the thing that you can't not do, right? Um, and, and that takes interest way beyond just like um, something that, that's a, a moment, a momentary passion. So I think the momentary passions and all the other kinds of interests that we've been talking about are really important. And listening to students, I would echo that too. Um, but also keeping in mind that, that it's all in the effort to move beyond interest as the thing that gets you involved in academic work, right? Um, instead, we want to, you know, we want to put these things you, you can't not do at the center of school. So. Thanks, Paul. And thank you, everyone, um, for this really awesome conversation. I always feel like this hour flies by when we do these. Um, by tomorrow, we should have a full recording of this webinar and other content up on connectedlearning.tv. We hope that you can share that with your networks. Um, this wraps up our third webinar of this month-long series, but that doesn't mean the conversation uh, has to pause here. Um, we encourage everyone to keep the energy going by using the Twitter hashtag connectedlearning and by getting involved in ongoing conversations with the Connected Learning Google Plus community. There's a really powerful uh, uh, chat going on um, on, the back, on the back channel, and I really encourage people to take a look there for some other awesome resources. Um, join us again next Tuesday, April 22nd, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that's 11 o'clock Mountain Time for the few of us here in Colorado who need to mention that. Uh, as we chat about school sites, um, as sites of civic engagement will be our topic next week. Uh, joining me will be Nicole Mira, Danielle Filipiak, Paul O, Ellen Middow, and Ben Kirshner. Uh, visit connectedlearning.tv for more information. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. See you. Thanks. Bye.